is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I want to thank my buddy Dan Bongino for sitting in. Great guy. Loyal, smart, solid. My buddy Dan Bongino. You know, uh, it's kind of, if you listen to one show, you, you listen to the other. Right? President said to be a racist, so they all pull out the New York Times list because a website finds the New York Times list in which they were attacking the president for calling everybody dummies, and the overwhelming number of people in the New York Times list are white. So they hit that today. Alex Jones, whom I don't know, who I've never corresponded with, whom I've actually never listened to, if there's clips out there here and there, he's obviously under attack by all the uh, main... Internet companies, people yelling the First Amendment, when in fact the First Amendment has nothing to do with it because the government doesn't own these sites, even though I think what they're doing is outrageous. They don't pull anything down from Farrakhan, who is a Jew hater, a white hater, who's absolute poison day in and day out. I mean, if that's your standard that Farrakhan can stay, I would think anybody could stay. So I guess I'm supposed to spend 90 minutes on that. I'm not. Iran is a big deal. The trial going on in Virginia, if you believe in justice, is a big deal. The Senate Democrats who are circulating plans to take over the Internet, that's a big deal. But first I want to talk because we're going to have as a guest here at 620 uh, National Security Advisor to the President, John Bolton. By the way, Lindsey Graham, can you ever shut up? But let's go on. Let's go on. Do you know what the sanctions are that the president put in place? Do you do you know from our mass media that we're actually beating the Iranians now that their currency is worth crap? That uh, that there are people rising up as I speak in Iran, that these mullahs are like mobsters. They each take over percentage of various industries, geographic positions within the country. Yes, they're Islamo-Nazi fundamentalists, but they're also mobsters. And so what Trump is doing is he's starving them. And so all you hear from Don Lemon is, hey, you know, the president is a racist, and, uh, you know, he's a racist. The president is... That's why I have no ratings, dummy. And you do have a low IQ, not because of your race, but because what's in between your ears, a sponge. LeBron James, I wouldn't meet with the president. Well, he doesn't want to meet with you, so who cares? Don Lemon thinks he's brilliant. Now, why is LeBron James brilliant? What has LeBron James said that's brilliant? You want to hear brilliant? Listen to Shelby Steele. You want to hear brilliant? Listen to Alan West. You want to read brilliant? Read something that Clarence Thomas wrote. What do you think about that, Don Lemon? And by the way, the president stole that line from me with all due respect. I've been saying you're low IQ since the day you showed up on CNN. Anyway, but don't don't be upset. There's a guy with a lower IQ than you on CNN, and he's actually white. His name is Brian Stelter. Does that make you happy? It's true. 
or true enough. Iran. Iran is our enemy. Iran is moving as fast as they can to, uh, to get nukes. And so what did the president do? He signed an executive order reimposing sanctions, and even more than that, putting stronger sanctions on Iran. So what did he do? Sanctions will be reimposed on the purchase or acquisition of American banknotes by the government of Iran. Iran's trade in gold and other precious metals. So he's cutting them off financially. Graphite, aluminum, steel, coal, software used in industrial processes. Transactions related to the Iranian ryal. That's their pretend currency. Activities relating to Iran's issuance of sovereign debt. Iran's automotive sector. The remaining sanctions will be reimposed in early November on Iran's port operations and energy, shipping and shipbuilding sectors, Iran's petroleum-related transactions, transactions by foreign financial institutions with the Central Bank of Iran. The administration will also relist hundreds of individuals, entities, vessels, aircraft that were previously included on the sanctions list. Now, the Iranian regime has exploited the global financial system to fund its malign activities, the White House said. The regime has used its funding to support terrorism, promote ruthless regimes, destabilize the region, and abuse human rights of its own people. Now, the Trump administration intends to fully enforce the sanctions reimposed against Iran, and those who fail to wind down activities with Iran risk severe consequences. That is aimed at Europe. We cannot control China and Russia. Those are rogue governments. But Europe is starting to acknowledge what's taking place here because Germany's major automobile manufacturer, which was going to invest in an assembly line in Iran, announced about an hour ago, it's not. We have a great ambassador there who is working very, very hard, who the Democrats held up. And I might tell CNN he's a solid guy, a foreign policy guy, a conservative guy, and a gay man. And the Democrats still held him up. Why? We know why. Because they hate homosexuals. See, I can talk like a liberal too. Yes, they hate homosexuals. Doesn't it sound like Nancy Pelosi? So, uh, this is a very, very, (coughs) you know, I have a question to ask you. Trump has reversed about 80% of Obama's regulations. He's putting solid constitutionalists on the court. He's fighting Obama's immigration policies, although the judges in this country seem to think that when Obama, by fiat, puts DACA in place, that that's a constitutionally enshrined decision, even though it's unconstitutional. You had a judge the other day that said, all right, all right, uh, Trump administration, you have to explain to me why I should eliminate DACA at your request or let you do it. Well, because the idiot before... He did it, and it was unconstitutional. You see, so Trump's up against these judges, too. But they say that Obama's the most successful president in history. Well, if Trump has reversed his regulations, is reversing what he did on the courts, is reversing what he did on immigration, is reversing his disastrous foreign policy, how can Obama be the greatest president ever? What, for three weeks he was the greatest president ever? Well, clearly he was not.
Man, oh man, a Shevitz, when I'm off a day, I'm all fired up. I am ready to roll. By the way, Joe Scarborough, what a load you are. What a pathetic buffoon you are. A complete seller. How much are they paying you there over at MSLSD to be such a jackass? You see, Trump is really, he's surrendering, he's surrendering his ability to appeal to all races and people because he's going after the white voter with no college degree. The white voter with no college degree. We're going to get into this later in the show. How you can pretty much say anything about white people now. Particularly male white people. Anything you want. And it's not considered racist. As a matter of fact, they hire you to be on the New York Times editorial board. Even though you're a loathsome, race-baiting hypocrite, they will hire you. And so when people look at the New York Times editorials... People write those New York Times editorials, and they have the most loathsome, radical, kook-infested editorial board you can imagine. Almost as bad as the board they had in the 30s and 40s that downplayed the Holocaust. All right, we got a lot to get to. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. John Bolton is the outstanding national security advisor to President Trump. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Glad to be with you, Mark. Well, it's a pleasure. A couple of things. Uh, Iran, obviously, the sanctions are put back in place with another set of them coming in November. Tell us about it. Well, this uh, flows directly from President Trump's decision in May to get out of the <clears throat> horrible Iran nuclear deal, the Obama deal that uh, didn't stop Iran's uh, effort to get deliverable nuclear weapons. It really empowered the, uh, the regime, which is the world's central banker for international terrorism. Uh, even though the sanctions technically came back into effect at uh, midnight today with, with more coming in 90 days, uh, ever since the president's May withdrawal, I think we've seen the economic impact on Iran. The value of the Iranian currency has gone through the floor. Uh, wealthy Iranians are getting their money and other assets out of the country. I think they can see they're on a sinking ship. And, uh, you know, all across the country, really beginning back in December, but I think accelerating in recent days, average Iranian people, workers, farmers, small shop owners, uh, even the educated elites in Tehran are demonstrating against the regime. They, they can see the effects of years of mismanagement and clerical rule. And uh, I think the regime's in trouble. That's what the sanctions are intended to do, put pressure on it, uh, until they finally uh, really commit to give up their nuclear weapons program, their ballistic missiles, their support for terrorism. What do you say to these code pink, I call them code pink Republicans or pseudo-conservatives that say Iran is none of our business, when in fact they're trying to build nuclear weapons and ICBMs that can reach our own country? Well, they're a direct threat to the United States in that respect. They're a direct threat given their uh, financing of terrorists around the world. When I, when I call Iran the central banker of terrorism, uh, that's simply a statement of fact. Over the years since the 1979 revolution that brought the Ayatollah Khomeini to power, Iran has given more in financial aid to terrorist groups of all sorts all around the world than anybody else. Uh, Hamas in the Gaza Strip, Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon, the the various uh, uh, radical militia in uh, Iraq, and and uh, they've even aided uh, their sworn enemy, the Taliban, if they thought it would hurt the United States. 
they threaten our friends in the region, Israel, friendly Arab states. Uh, they are a global threat, and if you can't see that, uh, really, uh, you need uh, need to see an eye doctor. Well, now, um, the the how many how many American soldiers do we know that the Iranians are responsible for killing uh, in the Iraq War? Well, just in the past ten years, that number's estimated at around uh, two thousand killed and wounded, and that's from. Uh, explosive devices that they uh, uh, constructed in Iran and brought into uh, Iraq from the training they've given from actual combat. Look, this goes back a long way. If you remember the attack on the Marine barracks in late 1983 during the Reagan administration, uh, that attack was carried out by a predecessor group uh, to Hezbollah under the direct command uh, of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps. So it goes back that far, I think, American veterans from various Iraq campaigns will tell you how they were restrained, especially in the Obama administration, from telling the truth about who was supplying the militias and terrorists who were attacking them. Uh, Iran is America's enemy. They've declared it in multiple ways. Uh, and we need to protect ourselves. We need to protect against the direct Iranian threat. We need to protect against their ability at some point to give nuclear weapons to terrorist groups. If, in fact, we uh, had upheld the uh, Obama deal, and by the way, most of us didn't even know what the Obama deal was. I mean, he was out of office, and these secret side agreements kept coming up, and uh, people didn't even know exactly what, what he had agreed to. But that said, if this had continued, uh, what would Iran look like today? Would its economy be relatively robust? Would it be on the move? Would it, uh, would it threaten sea lanes? What? Well, I think it was a uh, the uh, getting rid of the sanctions in 2015, which was the central tenet of Obama's deal, gave Iran a lifeline. I mean, in fact, the uh, the mullahs who have gotten very rich since the 1979 uh, revolution have impoverished the country, and that's one of the reasons they're in real trouble. Uh, and it's one of the reasons now they're so desperate to get. Uh, European countries to continue to bail them out. Uh, so so that's why the pressure that's being put on now, uh, I think, is so important, because if Iran, if that lifeline had worked, uh, they would have been an even greater threat in the region, and their nuclear program would have continued unabated. You know, one of Obama's basic uh, uh, premises for the deal was that if we only uh, uh, can agree with the Iranians that uh, uh, that they'll stop publicly demanding that they have deliverable nuclear weapons, that Iran will become a normal nation, they won't support terrorism, they won't engage in military hostilities in the Middle East, uh, they won't be a threat anymore. I think the evidence is overwhelming that since 2015, Iran's behavior has gotten worse, not just on the nuclear front, but in terms of support for terrorism, uh, in terms of the military activity they're engaged in now in uh, Yemen, uh, in Syria, in Iraq, linking up with Hezbollah in Lebanon. They're now a regional threat to a lot of America's friends and vital American interests. Russia, very quickly. Um, you and uh, four other senior officials throughout the administration uh, had a press conference, and you said, we're well aware of what the Russians are up to, among others, and we're doing things about it. And I suspect you don't want to tell us that you're doing things about it, but can you assure or reassure my audience that, in fact, we are. We're doing more things about it, potentially, than have been done in the past. 
Yeah, look, the level of uh, activity, the level of awareness, the level of preparation at the federal level and in the uh, cooperative work we do with state and local governments, which let's not forget actually administer our uh, elections in this country, uh, is at an unprecedented level. And I think uh, it's not just to guard against election meddling in 2018 or 2020, uh, it's to forestall Russian and other foreign influence campaigns more broadly. But let's remember, back when uh, it was the Soviet Union, uh, the communists made an effort in the 1940s and 1950s to influence American public opinion by getting control of Hollywood, by taking over the Screen Actors Guild, by getting uh, the writers and producers unions under their control. This is what brought Ronald Reagan into political life to stop that effort to influence opinion by taking over Hollywood. So using social media now for the Russians is a new uh, medium of expression, uh, but the tactics are the same. We, we were vigilant against it in the 40s and 50s, and beyond that, we need to be vigilant against uh, this kind of foreign interference today. I have 30 seconds. Have there been any stand-down orders from uh, the president or you or anybody else telling people to stand down when, when uh, Russian interference is, is, is uh, noted? Quite the contrary. Look, the president knew exactly what we were going to say at that press conference. He had heard a classified, more detailed version of it just a few days before. He wanted the American people to know he will not tolerate foreign influence, Russian or otherwise, in our election. That wanted that story to get out. All right, John Bolton, thank you very much for your time, my friend, and God bless. Keep up the good work. We'll be right back. Mark Luffin, an unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811. Well, if Trump would only talk this way and he wouldn't say this, he hurts himself. If he'd say that, he'd help himself. You know, you ever see the movie Patton? My favorite movie of all time. I've probably seen it 40, 50 times as a kid all the way up to today. Well, if Patton would just talk this way and he looked that way and he wouldn't wear the gun on this and if Patton would just this. Patton was an essential general. Without whom, I don't know if we would have won World War II. Look at what Trump is doing. Put all the static out of your head. Just because the media go after the static doesn't mean we have to sit here and analyze. Well, if he'd say this, if he'd do it this way, if he'd stand on his head, if he'd look over here, my buddy Jackie Mason would know how to do this. But look what he's doing to Iran. Iran has been a problem since Jimmy Carter. He is crushing Iran. He is crushing Iran. All the brainiacs in the Congress, all the brainiacs in the media, all the brainiacs in the Obama administration, all the brainiacs in Europe, all the brainiacs in academia. No, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. Well, why not? It's not a good deal. He's crushing them. Without firing a shot, just like Reagan with the Soviet Union. How come this isn't getting the kind of attention that the Helsinki press conference has, got, has gotten? It's incredible to me. He's pushed ISIS back. They're not completely defeated. They'll never be completely defeated. But look at them. They're a shell of their former selves. 
Biden, well, nothing we can do. You know, Obama, nothing we can do. We can, we've tried and we did. And he tells Mattis, go get those bastards. And they're getting them. Iran. We're going to put him out of business. And he's putting him out of business. Well, Mark, why are you celebrating so re- I'm celebrating that you have a leader who's doing these things. That nothing is guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed, period. Gets no attention. It's, hey, he's a racist. Oh, he's mentally ill. Got to listen to this clown Scarborough. What the hell has Joe Scarborough ever done for this country? What the hell has Don Lemon ever done for this country? What the hell has Jake Tapper ever done for this country? And I can tell you what the New York Times did to this country during the Holocaust. And I will say it over and over and over again. They covered it up. They censored the news. How can they be trusted? They can't be. They can't be. Obviously, Putin would rather have had Hillary Clinton than Donald Trump. All the rest of the propaganda from the media aside. They got 20% of our damn uranium under Hillary Clinton. You got to listen to this, this propaganda day in and day out. China. Do you know China, the value of China's currency has gone down over 25%? Ours, by the way, has gone up about 20%. You know I'm a free trader, except when it comes to China. Except when it comes to China. China's the enemy. China's stealing our technology. They're stealing us blind. It's not a trade issue with me when it comes to China. It's a national security issue. And the best way to hit China is financially. Financially. They cannot win a trade war with us. I just don't believe in trade wars with our allies. But let's put that aside for now. China's the enemy. It's not our friend. And their currency is starting to tank. You know how you defeat China? Through its banking system. You know how you defeat Russia? It's oil pipelines. Trump's figured that out. You know how you defeat Iran? You crush its economy. Trump's figured that out. All these other fools going on and on and on. We were headed in the opposite direction with Iran. With China. With Russia. He inherited all this stuff. And then I love the North Korea stuff. Well, weren't, was he going to denuclearize sooner and denuclearize? Well, how did they get nukes in the first place? Successive prior administrations. They didn't get all these nukes while Trump was president. He's trying to deal with it. What would you have him do? He muscles up our military off the peninsula of Korea. And look at this. This guy's going to cause an atomic war, a nuclear war. Then he meets with that. Well, he shouldn't have met with him. And uh, why isn't this happening faster? If you listen to the media, you will lose your minds just like they have. Now we're told Trump's a racist. What's the evidence? Well, he doesn't like LeBron James. So what? Who the hell's LeBron James? Only country in the world where a basketball player can be worth a billion dollars. Name another country. He doesn't like LeBron James because LeBron James keeps taking shots at him. That's why. I don't need the New York Times to tell me that Trump isn't a racist by taking their list that they put together a while back. 
to attack him and tell you that all these people are white? What exactly has Trump done that's racist? Let's talk like normal people here. What has he done? Nothing. Nothing. On civil rights, has he done something to hurt minorities? Nothing. In our economy, has he targeted minority neighborhoods? No. Well, Mark, what about immigration when he targeted those Muslim countries? He targeted six countries that are majority Muslim, the same countries that Obama targeted, because they happen to be where a lot of terrorist activity foments and where civil wars are taking place, and immigration is not a right. And we didn't have the vetting systems in place to make sure these so-called refugees are actually refugees. Because they don't have computers over there. They don't have accurate records over there. ISIS said, Al-Qaeda said, we're going to secrete our people in among refugees. President Snow fully hears this. He says, okay, time out. Oh, you can't have a timeout. No, only Franklin Roosevelt can have a timeout. Eisenhower can have a timeout. Nixon can have a timeout. Even Obama had a timeout, but not Trump, because he's a racist. Based on what? Based on nothing. Don Lemon's an idiot. Not because he's an African-American, because he's Don Lemon. But this is where we are. Now let's talk briefly, shall we, about this, well, the the internet and Alex Jones and what's happened there. People are rallying around Alex Jones. Most of them are saying something like this. You know, I don't like Alex Jones. You know, he's a 9-11, he's a truther, he was an Obama birther, he was a this and a that, I don't really like him. But First Amendment. This has nothing to do with the First Amendment. It's not the government. It's these behemoth left-wing companies that are doing these things. Apple, Facebook, and the rest of them. These behemoth left-wing companies. And there was a really excellent piece at Breitbart which says, well, let's take Facebook as an example. They haven't pulled down Antifa's postings on Facebook. Why is that? Antifa. The violent Marxist organization that seeks the destruction of America, the destruction of capitalism, that has done huge damage to buildings and people and riots, assault and battery left and right. Why are they still up there? Farrakhan, a Jew hater, a white hater, a segregationist, a vile, poisonous man who has decades worth of dripping vile hate. Why is he still up on Facebook and these other sites? The reason is simple. Because they're liberal. They're Democrat. They don't believe in speech. I'm not talking about the First Amendment. They don't believe in speech. Does it really hurt to have Alex Jones up on YouTube or Facebook or whatever the platform is? Who's it hurting? Who's it hurting? The liberals used to defend the Nazis and the Klansmen marching in Skokie, Illinois, a Jewish community at the time. The ACLU used to lead the fight in court. 
that was a First Amendment issue. A serious First Amendment issue involving government, town that didn't want the Nazis marching. But now, you see, Farrakhan's in, Antifa's in, Jones is out. Certain statues are in, certain statues are out. Certain speeches on college campuses are in, certain speeches are out. You can be the most loathsome leftist, no matter what you say. And you can wind up on MSNBC like Joy Reid. Or you can wind up on the editorial board of the New York Times. Saying hateful, curse-filled things about groups of people, especially white people. Especially white men. And nothing will be done. In fact, you'll get a promotion. Farrakhan says the most outrageous thing about Jewish people. And Facebook doesn't care. Zuckerberg is a Jew, as I am. Or Zuckerberg. He'll put up with it. New York Times during the Holocaust, owned by Jews. Got to hide the Holocaust. It's incredible. It's disgusting to me, especially as a Jew. Happens the same with liberal Catholics, liberal Protestants, and so forth and so on. I'm just pointing this out here. So Alex Jones is a great threat. This is a guy I've never heard before. I know who he is, obviously. But he's a grave threat. Farrakhan, not so much. Antifa, not so much. Communist Party USA, not so much. Democratic Socialists, we celebrate. Black Lives Matter, we celebrate. But Alex Jones has to go. Alex Jones has to go. My wife says to me, why don't our wealthy conservatives get together and create the equivalent of Facebook or the equivalent of a Twitter? And I told her why. Because they don't have the guts to do it, that's why. All talk, no action. That's why. The left has Soros, Steyer, one after another. They line up, they talk about the top 1%. And of course, most of the top 1%, believe it or not, most of these billionaires, look at the Forbes 400, are liberals. Many of them have inherited their money, not all. Buffett, Gates, Bezos. What about the Cokes? You can point to some. But the the majority of them are them, leftists. We're all supposed to hate corporations, you know. Really? Well, who owns the Washington Post? Amazon. Effectively. New York Times is a corporation. NBC, ABC, CBS, they're all corporations. CNN's a corporation. MSNBC, that's a corporation. Corporatists, liberals, 
boards of directors. The vast majority of them are not made up of conservatives. The vast majority of corporations are not run by conservatives. These are bureaucrats who work their way up a bureaucratic system. Bureaucrats. Not all, but most. If corporations are so conservative, then why do we have NBC the way we have NBC and ABC and CBS? Right? Right. Now, CNN? Has CNN? Why does CNN exist? I've asked this question before. They have no ratings. They try to be MSNBC. Most of their hosts really are low IQ. Why does CNN exist? Why? Because the corporate board wants them to keep pushing their propaganda. That's why. Why else? There's no other reason for CNN. All right, I'll be right back. Lovin. Next hour, at the top of the hour, I'm going to show you a real effort to destroy free speech under the First Amendment of our Constitution, being led by the Democrats. Being led by the Democrats. Sunspots, brown spots, discoloration, even red inflamed patches, all gone with the brand new Genesel Sunspot Corrector. Here's Ella Brown from Rockford, Illinois. I have both age and acne spots, and this stuff is actually fading both of them. This serum is worth every penny. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the Genesel Sunspot Corrector is here, and it's yours free just for trying Genesel today, a must-have for your summer. Finally, see those stubborn sun- sunspots vanish and those bags and puffing is gone. And for results in less than 12 hours, the Genesel Immediate Effects is also yours free. Light, clean, and effective natural skin care that gives you amazing results in healthier, softer skin day after day. No one does it better than Chamonix. And my buddy Teddy was a very serious heart doctor, cardiologist. He swears by it. Go to Genesel.com right now or call 800-SKIN-604. Now, you be the judge. You'll see the magic of Chamonix or you get 100% of your money back. No risk at all. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com, 800-SKIN-604. See, it's the Democrats who always attack speech. Whether it's the uh, Democrats on Facebook, the Democrats on Twitter, the Democrats at Apple, Instagram, whether it's the Democrats attacking talk radio, whether it's the Democrats attacking Fox News, and I don't mean criticizing and I mean aggressively criticizing. No, they want them out of business. The Democrats actually attack free speech in the First Amendment with statute after statute claiming that election time is no time to allow people to spend money to get their message across. The whole point of the First Amendment originally was to protect among all speech, political speech. And now we have a proposal by Democrats, it's circulating, for a government takeover of the Internet. Of the Internet. A government takeover of the Internet. Listen to these totalitarians 
Read what they write. Listen to what they say. When you watch a CNN or MSNBC, these are effectively spokesmen for the federal government. They're statists. They're progressives. That's who they are. That's what they are. They are spokesmen and spokeswomen for what's in the best interest of the federal government. That's why they hate so many of us. We in the media, uh, we're not the enemy of the people, but you hate the people. Except certain people. All right, we've got a lot to get to. I hope you'll stick with us, and I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Man, oh man, I've got a lot of ground to cover with you folks. This is Mark Levin, our number 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. The Democrats want to take over the Internet. That's true. Some of the Paul Manafort trial cross-examination of the prosecutor's star witness. That's interesting. Lots of stuff. But before we do, let me circle back to this. There was a piece in the New York Magazine, which, of course, is uh, Cooksville, uh, written by Andrew Sullivan. It's never like me. But it's a good piece. And I give credit where credit is due. That's what I do here. And it's worth relaying it to you. When racism is fit to print. Is the newest member of the New York Times editorial board, Sarah Zhang, a racist? From one perspective, that commonly held by people outside the confines of the political left, she obviously is. A series of tweets from 2013 to 2015 reveal a vicious hatred of an entire group of people based only on their skin color. If that sounds harsh, let's review a few, shall we? Quote, white men are bull S, is one, succinct vent at least. But notice she's not in any way attacking specific white men for some particular failing, just all white men for, well, existing. Or this series of ruminations, quote, have you ever tried to figure out all the things that white people are allowed to do that aren't cultural appropriation? There's literally nothing, like skiing maybe and also golf. White people aren't even allowed to have polo. Do you know that? She must have meant polio, but anyway. Uh, Let's see here. Like, don't you just feel bad? Why can't we give white people a break? Lacrosse isn't for white people either. It must be so boring to be white. Or this one. Basically, I'm just imagining waking up white every morning with a terrible existential dread that I have no culture. Sullivan writes, I can't say I'm offended by this. It's even mildly amusing if a little bonkers. Has she read any, say, any Shakespeare, Emily Dickinson? But it does reveal a worldview in which white people, all of them, are cultural parasites and contemptibly dull. A little more disturbing is what you might call eliminationist rhetoric, language that wishes an entire race could be wiped off the face of the earth. Hashtag cancel white people, quote unquote, she wrote, or quote, white people have stopped breeding. You'll all go extinct soon. 
That was my plan all along, unquote. One simple rule I have about describing groups of human beings, writes Sullivan, is that I try not to use a term that equates them with animals. Zhang, the new New York Times editorial board writer, apparently has no problem doing so. Speaking of animals, here's another gem. Dumb A's, effing white people, marking up the internet with their opinions like dogs, P-I-S, you get the word, peeing on fire hydrants, quote-unquote. Or you could describe an entire race as subhuman, quote, are white people genetically disposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins, unquote? Then there's this simple expression of the pleasure that comes with hatred, quote, oh man, it's kind of sick how much joy I get out of being cruel to old white men, unquote. Sullivan says, I love that completely meretricious old to demean them still further. That actual feeling, joy at cruelty. Another indicator that these statements might be racist come from replacing the word white with any other racial group. Hashtag cancel black people probably wouldn't fly at the New York Times, would it? Or imagine someone tweeting that Jews are only fit to live underground like groveling goblins. Or that she'd enjoy being cruel to old Latino woman. And then being welcomed and celebrated by a liberal newsroom. Not exactly in the cards, I don't think. But the alternative view, that of today's political left, is that Zhang definitionally cannot be a racist. Because she's both a woman and a racial minority. Racism against whites, in this neo-Marxist view, just isn't a thing. Just as a misandry literally cannot exist at all. And this is because, in this paradigm, racism has nothing to do with a person's willingness to prejudge people by the color of their skin or to make broad, ugly generalizations about whole groups of people based on hoary stereotypes. Rather, racism is entirely institutional and systemic, a function of power, and therefore it can only be expressed by the powerful, that is, primarily white, straight men. For a non-white female like Sarah Zhang, it is simply impossible. In the religion of social constructionism, Zhang, by virtue of being an Asian woman, is one of the elect incapable of the sin of racism or group prejudice. All she's doing is resisting whiteness and maleness, which indeed require resistance every second of the day. That's why she hasn't apologized to white people she denigrated or conceded that their tweets are racist. Nor has she taken responsibility for them. Her statement actually blames her ugly tweets on trolls whose online harassment of her prompted her to respond in turn. She was merely counter-trolling, you see. She says her tweets, which were not responses to any individual, were also not aimed at a general audience, quote-unquote, and now understands that these tweets were hurtful, and she won't do them again. The New York Times also buys this argument, quote, her journalism and the fact that she is young, a young Asian woman, It made her a subject of frequent online harassment. For a period of time, she responded to that harassment by imitating the rhetoric of her harassers, unquote. Sullivan says, let me explain why I think this is the purest of bull S. You want to respond to trolls by trolling them, you respond to them directly. You don't post slurs about an entire race of people, the overwhelming majority of whom are not trolls, and an open forum website like Twitter. And these racist tweets were not just a function of one sudden exasperated vent at a harasser. They continued for two years. Another tweet from 2016 has her exclaiming, F white women, LOL, quote unquote. 
None of this excuses the behavior of online hordes that are seeking her head. When media companies give in to those mobs, they're just, as, they're, they're just feeding a voracious beast. It's worth noting, however, that Zhang has a long record of cheering online mobs when they target people she dislikes. Quote, is there anything more tedious than media navel-gazing over outrage mobs, she tweeted earlier this year. I don't think the New York Times should fire her, part because they largely share her views on race, gender, and oppression. Their entire hiring and editorial process is based on them. In their mind, Zhang was merely caught defending herself. As Vox writer Zach Beechamp put it, a lot of people on the Internet today are confusing the expressive way anti-racists and minorities talk about white people uh, with actual race-based hatred for some unfathomable reason. I have to say the word expressive made me chuckle out loud. But would Bochamp, I wonder, feel the same way if anti-racists talked about Jews in the same manner Zhang talks about whites? Aren't Jews included in the category of whites? The editors of The Verge, where Zhang still works, described any assertion of racism in her tweets as dishonest and outrageous, a function of bad faith and an attack on journalism itself. Scroll through her left Twitter and you find utter incredulity that demonizing white people could in any way be offensive. That's the extent to which loathing of and contempt for white people is now background noise on the left. What many don't seem to understand is that their view of racism isn't shared by the public at large, and that the defense of it by institutions like the New York Times will only serve to deepen the kind of resentment that gives us Trump, he writes. Last night, for instance, Fox News made the most of Times' excessive excuses for race baiting. I don't even understand that point. He's just written a whole column on it. So if Fox brings it up, it's an excuse for Fox, but that's beside the point. Yes, we all live on campus now, the neo-Marxist analysis of society, in which we are all mere appendages of various groups of oppressors and oppressed, in which the oppressed definitionally cannot be at fault, is now the governing philosophy of almost all liberal media. That's how the Washington Post can provide a platform for a raw misandry. And the New York Times can hire and defend someone who expresses racial hatred. The great thing about being in the social justice movement is how liberating it can feel to give voice to incendiary, satisfying bigotry and know that you're still on the right side of history. Now, that, of course, is the point that Shelby Steele made when I had him on my Fox show, Life, Liberty, and Levin, in July. Same point. This young lady's not oppressed. She's never been oppressed. There are stupid people out there. There are some racist people out there, no question. There's some anti-Semites out there, anti-Catholics, you name it. But this um, mainstreaming attacks on white, and particularly white men, is appalling. It's absolutely appalling. And it comes exclusively from the left. The race baiting against Donald Trump and his administration comes exclusively from the left media. Chuck Todd is out there the other day. Well, where is Chuck Todd? Do we have that, Mr. Producer? Go ahead and play that, would you? He did not mention yesterday in the state of Ohio again, Chuck, LeBron James, perhaps wisely not mentioning a guy beloved in that state. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that tweet Friday night, uh, insulting the intelligence of both LeBron James and Don Lemon at CNN, an African-American television host. 
LeBron James is the kind of public figure that a lot of people in this country, including me, uh, suggest our kids look up to. Yeah. Was this more than an attack on somebody he saw insulting him on television? And why does he keep going back to the insult on intelligence when it comes to African-American leaders there you in this go. country? See, he only, he only questions the intelligence of African-Americans. And so he's a liar. Chuck Todd is a liar. He's lying through his teeth. Tell me, how many African-Americans were running in the Republican primary for president, Mr. Producer? Any? Zero. Did he not pound each and every one of them? Almost? Yes, I think he did. So now they racialize it. Now we have Jeffrey Tubin, the moron at CNN, who says essentially the same thing. I won't even play it for you. I don't need to go to the New York Times list of four or five hundred individuals that the president has trashed to indicate to you that they're not all black. You already know that. We don't have to prove it. But they want it to be race. They want it to be race. And these same white men who say these things. Now, not exclusively white men, but these same white men who say these things. They say it because they want you to think, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not oppressing anybody. I'm a good liberal. I don't think like these other people think. I'm a good liberal. I'm a good progressive. American history sucks. Oh, America, America in the past was horrible, horrible. As Shelby Steele points out, my hands are clean, so I can go around calling other people racists. Racists with whom I disagree, you see, I call them racists. Is Farrakhan a racist? They won't say. Black Lives Matter racist organization? They won't say. Did Jesse Jackson say racist things? They won't say. Sharpton? They won't say. In fact, they'll hire him over at MSNBC. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Discussions about race, but not with racists or race baiters. That is a different issue. It's a different issue. Don Lemon is a dumb guy. Brian Stelter is a dumb guy. In my humble opinion, just my opinion, having nothing to do with the fact one's black and one's white. They just are what they are. They're dumb black people, they're dumb white people, dumb Hispanic people, dumb albino people, dumb this, dumb that. But you're not allowed to say, you see. Now, Larry Elder, there's a smart guy who happens to be black. Stephen A. Smith, there's a smart guy who happens to be black. Jason Whitlock, smart guy who happens to be black. I go on and on. Lots of really smart black guys and gals. Lots of really dumb white guys. Joe Biden, dumbest guy to ever serve in the Senate, in my humble opinion. But this stuff on the left, where you can trash all white people, and then not only are you not fired, you're promoted to be an editorial page writer for the New York Times, saying the most heinous things about people you don't even know. Trashing an entire group of people is unbelievable to me. And to make excuses? 
to make excuses. And those excuses are flat out lies. You have a sustained pattern of racist comments by this woman. So what does it say about the New York Times editorial board? Oh, I know, well, they have a right to hire and not hire, and we shouldn't be doing... What the hell are you talking about? And we have a right to say, no, I would, you shouldn't hire her. If you're going to write editorials and try and convince us and try and enlighten us, we're not asking for perfect people, but there's imperfect, and then there's really, really imperfect. It's incredible to me. Do you believe in speech? Yes, I do. And so nobody's saying she shouldn't be able to speak. I'm not saying she shouldn't be able to tweet. I'm not saying the New York Times shouldn't be able to hire her or promote her. I'm just saying she stinks and they stink. What do you think of that? And it's true. Look at Joy Reid over at MSNBC. Slamming homosexuals, going on and on. You got guys in sports who wrote stuff when they're 17, 18 years old. They're going into indoctrination seminars. I wish I hadn't, you know, posted that. They don't even know what the hell they're doing. I wish I hadn't posted that. Now they're like 27 or 25. All right. Well, we found it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Two months of what? Sensitivity training. Oh, okay. Here we have a woman who happens to be Asian who's trashing white people because they're white. Just trashing them left and right and wishing they were gone like eugenics. Well, you know, they have the right to hire. We're not talking about the right to hire. Obviously, they have the right to hire, promote her, make her publisher, do whatever the hell they want. But the point is, isn't that pathetic? We get lectures from the New York Times editorial board, left-wing kooks on that board, lectures all the time about the liberal left agenda. All the time. And look who they hire. Of all the people they could have hired, they could have hired a left-wing kook radical, but they hire a left-wing kook radical who makes these outrageous statements about people. And then they lie. The New York Times lies. Well, look, she was attacked, so she only fought back in kind. Are you kidding me? And as this Andrew Sullivan wrote, over and over and over again, she says these poisonous things. She doesn't attack the individual who's written her or the individuals who's written her. Just white men, old white men. Unbelievable. New York Times, congratulations. Holocaust deniers. I'll be right back. When the going gets tough, a tough get. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. I'm going to tell you a true story. Briefly, I'm not going to get into all the details. My dad and my mom were Republicans early on in their lives when they could first vote. My dad is 93 now. 
My mother's 87. Both Philadelphians. And he said to me, let me tell you why your mom and I, this is when I was very young, I was a teenager. He said, let me tell you why your mom and I are Republicans. In addition to the general philosophy of limited government. So when I was a young man and dirt poor, I took a train from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. I don't remember why he took it, but that's what he did. And Washington back then was a southern city. Majority white. And my dad grew up very poor. His family did. And it was a mixed neighborhood. He had friends of white and black, Jewish, Gentile. And he told me we really didn't think much of it. You know, you'd mess around in the neighborhood, stick ball, all this other stuff, work at the cigar factory. You weren't sitting around worried about race. But he said for the first time in his life, at the train station, when he got to Washington, he saw White's only bathroom and water fountain. And he said it absolutely stunned him. He'd heard about these things. He'd never seen it. And he said, Mark, that's why I'm a Republican. Now, obviously, he has said a lot more since then. But that's what he said. And I can imagine what he saw, how appalling it was. And Shelby Steele tells the same stories about, as a young black man, he lived in segregation. And a lot of black people did, older black people. But he also said it's over. It's done. America has accomplished something that is miraculous. Nobody's a slave anymore. Nobody's segregated anymore unless they want to be. You're mobile. Just do what you want to do. Is there racism, he said? Yes. Just like there's stupidity. You can't wring it completely out of men and women. But you're free. And a lot of people, and this isn't related simply to race, but a lot of people have difficulty dealing with freedom. We deal with this issue all the time. What do we mean by freedom? More and more people. Want more and more government. It's really schizophrenic. They hate the government, but they want more of it. So when somebody who is young, this woman who's now going to be an editorial board writer from, for the New York Times, and makes these scathing comments about an entire race, it is really destructive. It is destructive. It is poison in a society. Absolute poison. So we can discuss race, but I don't discuss race with racists. Whatever color, whatever brand, I do not discuss race with racists. Period. And we're getting more and more racism and race baiting from the media. In my humble opinion. 
And that's what this hire by the New York Times is illustrative of. They've hired, in my view, a racist. And now she will assist in writing editorials without assigning her name to it. Or her identity to it. And how can you trust a newspaper like this? What kind of judgment is that? And then they lie about it. So that's enough said. I don't have to pull out all the uh, white people who Trump has attacked versus all the black people Trump's attacked. That, uh, that doesn't prove anything to me. You know, 3.8 million Americans are reading a Primus for free every month. Are you one of them? It's the very best and largest digest of conservative thought, and it's published by Hillsdale College. You can receive it for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. And Primus is always outstanding and always free as part of Hillsdale's efforts to teach all Americans how to pursue truth and defend liberty. I think it's one of the most important publications in the country, and I read it every month. We look very much forward to getting it in the Levin household each month. This month's edition is particularly powerful. It features our great vice president, Pence, and his message to Hillsdale's graduating class. It's a message that will teach you, challenge you, inspire you. You really should read it. Start reading in Primus and learn how to defend freedom, starting with the current issue. Vice President Pence will help ground you in the teachings and traditions that are our greatest inheritance as Americans, the same teachings and traditions that are the surest foundation of a boundless American future. Visit levinforhillsdale.com to get your free subscription to Imprimus, no strings attached. Levin for Hillsdale, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Now, if you like my show, you're going to love Imprimus, too. Levinforhillsdale.com. Now, I'm not impressed when a guy like Joe Scarborough jumps into this battle. He's not particularly bright. He's not particularly knowledgeable. But he jumps in to stir the pot. I'm not particularly impressed when Eugene Robinson, longtime writer for the Washington Post, jumps in. Because in my view, he's a longtime racialist. That is, race baiter. I'm not particularly impressed when Chuck Todd, longtime Democrat, his wife is a longtime Democrat, jump into this and stir things up and tell flat-out lies about the President of the United States. Or Jeffrey Tubin, the phony legal analysts at uh, CNN is interviewed by somebody at TMZ with leading questions. Utterly and completely unimpressive. I'm not even impressed when Michael Steele, former head of the RNC, jumps in and says that Trump's attacks on LeBron is nothing short of racist. Is, is that serious? Is he serious? I just feel uh, George Stephanopoulos jumps in with Kasich. What kind of shows are these? What kind of programs are they? They don't want to have a discussion about race. They want to accuse people and someone in particular being a racist. In his long career, Trump's what? 70, 71, 72? All the businesses he owns, all the hotels and resorts, construction, construction workers. Trump was never known as a racist. 
Never known as a racist. But all of a sudden he's a racist. He's a counterpuncher. LeBron James attacked him. He attacked back. Don Lemon every night attacks the president, including calling him a racist. President attacks back. And I can go down the whole list. Is there a single African-American or, for that matter, Caucasian-American or Latino-American or what have you who the president has attacked, who hasn't attacked him first? You know, we're not... You know, we are witnesses to history. We are witnesses to reality. We don't need interpreters for us in the media. We see what's going on. We hear what's going on. The difference between this president and other presidents is he fights back. He watches the media. He watches social sites or other people do for him. And rather than sit back and take the advice of a Karl Rove, just be quiet, sit back, be a loser and so forth. This president says, no, I'm not going to do that. I've never lived my life this way and I'm not going to start now. Let me put it to you this way, just to make a stark contrast and put a fine point on it. Donald Trump in his career has hired more African-Americans than Don Lemon ever did, than LeBron James ever did, than Brian Stelter ever did, than Chuck Todd ever did, than Joe Scarborough ever did. Period. He hired more African Americans, more Latino Americans than all those men combined. Combined. Helped put food on the table of those families. Liberal Democrats were happy to take his money. Years and years ago. Happy to take his money. When he agreed with them, or at least when he donated to them, they didn't consider him a racist then. All of a sudden now, he's a racist. Again, I take you to Shelby Steele. That word is used to completely shut down debate. It is used by whites to show that they are above the debate, that they're good, they're not racist, People, other people are, but not them. And Shelby Steele says many blacks or other minorities use it in order to shut down somebody who disagrees with them. Oh, there are racists out there. There's no question. There are anti-Semites out there. Look, I got to deal with them. Other people have to deal with them. We know they're there. But there's no evidence the president is. None whatsoever. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. The great Pittsburgh Pirates. In the 70s, 1970s. The great Willie Stargell. I'll never forget. All right. I have a big announcement to make here for all our brothers and sisters in the Los Angeles area, throughout California. AM 870, the answer, KRLA in Los Angeles, presents Town Hall 2018, Sunday, 
September 16th at the Alex Theater in Glendale, California. We're going to have a wonderful panel discussion, maybe debate. Michael Medved, Dennis Prager, Larry Elder, and me, one of my rare visits. And we have a special guest, Sheriff Dave Clark, too. Now, these tickets will sell out very, very fast. I know they will because they always do. Because I don't go to a lot of places, so I want to strongly encourage any of you who are listening to act now. Now, here's what you do. Tickets are for sale right now. And VIP tickets include a post-show reception, meet and greet with all of us. So information, go to am870info. Let me read that. My glasses are am870.info. That's am 870.info am 870.info will you put that up there Mr. Producer for our friends at KRLA on our social sites go to am870.info I'm telling you you better get your tickets immediately no brag just fact when I show up these things sell out and they sell out fast and I want to see as many of you as possible because as I say I don't get out there often be Medved Prager Elder special guests Sheriff Dave Clark, and yours truly. It's going to be spectacular. We always have a ton of fun. So we look forward to you. All right. Where am I, Mr. Producer? Oh, yes. My favorite chair. I'm sitting in it right now. It's my ex chair. Some of you think you have a favorite chair. Maybe it's a big leather chair, a big fabric chair, a sofa you like to sit in. That's fine. But you'll like the X chair even more. And I have a photo of my X chair up on my Facebook site, Mark Levin Show Facebook. This chair has helped me enormously. You don't have to have a bad back or bad tuchus or bad neck or bad hip to enjoy this chair. But if you do, you will. It is a great chair. It's not only the most modern and stylish piece of furniture you'll own, it is luxuriously comfortable. It molds around your body. It gives you ideal posture. In turn, it gives you more energy, better concentration, more productivity than you might ever thought possible. It's even fun to sit in it, work on your computer, watch TV. I sit in this chair seven hours a day, including right now during the show. Don't waste another day in that generic chair you've been using. Get an X chair and feel the difference. And if you own a company, get them for the entire office and see how much your employees appreciate them and how productive they uh, become as a result. Here's a special deal just for you. Go to xchairlevin.com, xchairlevin.com, and get $100 off. That's xchairlevin.com. Or call the toll-free number 1-844-4X-CHAIR. One eight four 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 X chair. X chair comes with a thirty day, no questions asked guarantee for complete satisfaction. So you've got absolutely nothing to lose. Go to xchairlevin.com now. Use code. Le- and by the way, do this if you use Le- code Levin Footrest. That is Levin Footrest. You'll get a free footrest too, which I rest my feet on when I do the show. That's xchairlevin.com, right? Go there now and use code LEVINFOOTREST and get the free footrest too. It's 100 bucks off the chair. Get the free footrest. But even more than that, 
a fabulous, beautiful chair, like none you've ever sat in before. This I know for a fact. Now, next hour, because we've talked about a lot, I want to get into the Manafort trial a little bit. I also want to get into the Senate. I said this. I would get to it this hour. Well, I didn't, but I will next hour. The effort by Senate Democrats truly to violate the First Amendment and to take control over the Internet. They do not believe in freedom. They do not believe in free speech. They don't even believe in a free press. Don't buy any of it. They don't. They would love for Fox to disintegrate. They would love for talk radio to be blown out. They don't want Sinclair around. They hate the Washington Times, the Washington Examiner, Investors Business Daily editorial page. Hate them all. They hate them all. They'd love the Drudge Report to go bye-bye, Breitbart to go bye-bye, Conservative Review, Right Scoop, and all the rest of them. Especially the Media Research Center and Newsbusters. I can name a, a few more. They would love, love, love it if the field were empty and it belonged to them, just like their college campuses. I remember when I went to college, oh, so long ago, man, there really was robust debate. Lots and lots of debate. And you were friends when you were done debating. Not anymore. Apparently get a mouthful of rocks or socks, a sock full of uh, coins. <clears throat> One other thing I want to mention in the following hour. man by the name of Paul Laxalt. Many of you never heard of Paul Laxalt. But many of us have heard of Paul Laxalt. He passed away yesterday. Paul Laxalt was a great man. One of the greatest statesmen I ever knew and I ever met. He was very much a mentor to me. He's a former senator from Nevada. Former governor of Nevada. One of Ronald Reagan's closest, best friends and confidants throughout much of his political careers they both were governors of uh, they bordered each other their states and I want to talk about him a little bit later in the program too we'll be right back From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Now, speaking for myself... I don't speak for Fox Corporate. I don't speak for Cumulus Westwood One Corporate. I don't speak for any of these corporations. Just a worker bee. This guy who was reporting from Jerusalem, from the Middle East. What was his name, Mr. Something Connor? Something O'Connor? Uh, but in any event, what is it? He, uh, he left in a huff. In a Huffington Post, I guess. And the rumor is, the word is, he's just upset with the, 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 the nature of uh, Connor Powell, right. Well, let me say this to old Connor, who we used to report from Jerusalem about everything going on in the Middle East. I never found Connor to be all that good, quite frankly. He seemed to have an animus toward our ally Israel. This is just my opinion. Again, 
Mark's personal opinion. So don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Just Mark's personal opinion. Brian Stelter on CNN Sunday. This guy just keeps reporting on himself, himself and CNN. We have all these reporters who report on reporters. It's the most amazing thing. Now, here's a guy Sunday. Listen to this guy who's clearly a lib and his wife's a lib and she works at local news in New York and so forth. Because you have to be. This is the litmus test over at CNN. Cut and stupid, by the way. Cut eight. Go. The president is supported uh, by a pro-Trump media universe that could not have existed 20 years ago and did not exist even 10 years ago. Largely, uh, it's Fox News and a variety of websites uh, that prop him up and support him almost no matter what. And again, at the rally last night, this was really telling. The president was giving shout outs to his favorite Fox News hosts. And he used the word we, as in we are winning. We are in this together. Uh, he thinks of himself uh, almost as a part See, of See, they're just so angry. Because there are at least a handful of outlets that don't tow the CNN line. And this drives them nuts. You cannot have competition. You cannot have diversity of viewpoints. Let's say Fox is everything he says it is. On its best average night, the most listened to show on Fox, which is Hannity, has 3.5, million listeners. That's a tiny percentage compared to ABC, NBC, CBS, day in, day out, night and day. Tiny. But they can't help it. They have to, they have to try and destroy this one media outlet that doesn't play the chorus line for the left. They have to destroy it. That's their goal. And yet Fox is far more diverse than CNN. You've got Shepard Smith, you've got other liberals, you've got news guys, you've got all kinds of stuff going on over there. They're really angry at their primetime lineup. They can't stand the primetime lineup. Especially Hannity and Ingram and, and Carlson. That they want, they want to do away because that's the powerhouse over there. That's the powerhouse. And yet, the flip side of the coin is look at CNN. Morning, noon, and night. I've never seen anything like it. And most of you haven't either because their ratings really are in the toilet. I see this stuff. Do you know, I don't know if I said this, but I'll say it again. My Sunday night ratings are always very high. 10 p.m. Eastern time. I have a much smaller universe of people who are available to watch TV. Then say if it's a 6 p.m. show or a primetime show and that sort of thing, or a morning show. We had almost 1.4 million viewers Sunday night. That only counts cable, doesn't count all the tributaries and so forth. That is higher than every single show on CNN. Whether it's their primetime shows, their morning shows, whatever it is. It's higher than Jake Tapper, Wolf Blitzer, way higher than the dummy Don Lemon, and so forth. Higher than all of them. And I'm doing a 10 p.m. Sunday night show. Brian Stelter has no ratings. None. I play this to use him as a foil. So he's furious that Fox exists. 
And of course, what's really going on here is CNN is a voice of the federal government. The Democrat Party and the federal government in many respects are one and the same thing, as I talk about this all the time. So they're defending what Obama did with the EPA. They're defending what Obama did to the Defense Department. They're, offend- they're defending Obama on immigration. They want the Democrats to win. And so even when you have outlets with just a relative handful of viewers or listeners, they cannot abide. They cannot abide it, period. In many ways, he's a Stalinist. Go ahead. At this point, at least that's the way he was talking at the rally last night. Mm. But make no mistake, when he says enemy of the people, this is extremist rhetoric. Uh, This is the kind of rhetoric that was used by Stalin uh, and by other dictators. Stalin. So we've gone from Hitler to Stalin. Trump is Stalin. Tell me, Mr. Stelter, when I dealt with you about a year and a half ago, you were a complete slimeball, an ignoramus. You had no, no uh, news instincts whatsoever. None. This is what you do. You're a fraud. That's not Stalinist. That's fact. Let me tell you what is Stalinist. You guys who hate Over 60 million Americans who voted for a candidate who you're trying to take down. And make no mistake about it, that's what you're trying to do. You, Mr. Stelter, and your ilk are doing more damage to this country and more damage to this presidency and hence his policies than Vladimir Putin ever could on his best day. On his best day. Go ahead. Many decades ago, uh, it has its roots in a very ugly part of our shared history uh, on, on this planet. I don't even know what he's saying. What shared history on this planet are you talking about, you buffoon? What history are you talking about? Do you even know history, American history, world history, as you ramble on? Go ahead. The president, when he brings that language back, when he tries to use that language to divide people, uh, it's, it's going to end up being a sad chapter of his presidency. I see, a sad chapter. You're very concerned about that, aren't you? Then we have this lowlife, Brett Stevens, who wasn't good enough for the Wall Street Journal. He bounces over to the New York Times. The libs attack him. Then he, of course, he, he gets back in line as a lib. He was a Trump hater from day one, a talk radio hater. They didn't even like him at the Jerusalem Post where he used to edit that paper. He's just a slimeball. Let's see how he contributes to this. A, a so-called conservative writing at the New York Times. Like Jennifer Rubin, you know, another one. Cut 10, go. Now, we had a shooting in Maryland. Fortunately, it was not politically motivated. All right, thought- so why are you bringing it up? We had a shooting in Maryland that was not politically motivated. Of those journalists. So what does that have to do with anything related to the president or what he says? We have violent organizations on the left that I think our media are encouraging by the nature of their rhetoric. Rush, the, excuse me, uh, uh, Trump the Hitler, Trump the Stalin and so forth. Trump the racist. People hear that too, like the nut who shot Scalise and two other people in Alexandria, Virginia at the baseball game last summer. So they bring up this shooting in Maryland that had absolutely nothing to do with the president. Go ahead. 
Now, we had a shooting in Maryland. Fortunately, it was not politically motivated, but five journalists were, were murdered. And I think we are marching towards the day when someone who thinks that he is taking directions from the president... Now, you act- see, you see, if something horrific happens, they're already prepared. It's not that they care about the people who will be murdered. I see no indication of that. That's not the point. They want to take down Trump. So if some nut job shoots a journalist, they're going to blame Trump. Now, what if some nut job from the left shoots a congressman? Do the media take any responsibility for that? No, none whatsoever. None. Go ahead. Interests of the American people against those of us presumptive traitors uh, uh, around this table are uh, someone like that is going to do that in a major American newsroom. When that happens, Mr. President, the blood will be on your hands. You see, you see. Now, let me ask you is Brett Stevens encouraging that kind of behavior? Doesn't it sound like it? In his own sick, perverse way? The media keeps saying this. Is this a dog whistle to the left? Some sick dog whistle to the left? And let me ask you something, Mr. Stevens. Let's say somebody tries to shoot the president. God forbid. Is that on your hands? Is that on Mr. Stelter's hands? Is that on Mr. Stephanopoulos' hands? Tell me, is it? Is it on Chuck Todd's hands or Eugene Robinson or Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski? Is it on their hands? I think so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Based on your own logic. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. This is from Reason.com. Senate Democrats are circulating plans for government takeover of the Internet. A leaked memo circulating among Senate Democrats contains a host of bonkers authoritarian proposals for regulating digital platforms purportedly as a way to get tough on Russia bots and fake news. To save American trust in, quote, our institutions, democracy, free press and markets, unquote, it suggests we need unprecedented and undemocratic government intervention into online press and markets, including, quote, comprehensive data protection legislation, unquote, of the sort enacted in the European Union, titled Potential Policy Proposals for Regulation of Social Media and Technology Firms, the draft policy paper penned by Senator Mark Warner, the moronic Tourette's-inflicted senator of Virginia, and leaked by an unknown source to Axios. The paper starts out by noting that Russians have long spread disinformation, including when the Soviets tried to spread fake news denigrating Martin Luther King. Today's tools seem almost built for Russian disinformation techniques, Warner opines, and the ones to come, he assures us, will be even worse. So here's what Warner suggests. Mandatory location verification. Paper suggests focus, uh, forcing social media platforms to authenticate and disclose the geographic origin of all user accounts or posts. Mandatory, and remember, this is, uh, the Internet is, is supposed to be free, private sector. Mandatory identity verification. The paper suggests forcing social media and tech platforms to authenticate user identities and only allow authentic accounts. 
with failure to appropriately address inauthentic account activity punishable as a violation of both SEC disclosure rules and or Section 5 of the Federal Trade Commission Act. Bot labeling. Warner's paper suggests forcing companies to somehow label bots or be penalized. No word for Warner on how this is remotely feasible. Define popular tech as essential facilities. This would be subject to all sorts of heightened rules and controls, says the paper, offering Google Maps, uh, Google Maps as an example of the kinds of apps or platforms that might count. Quote, the law would not mandate that a dominant provider offer the, or the service for free, writes Warner. Rather, it would be required to offer it on reasonable, non-discriminatory terms as set by the government. Other proposals include more disclosure requirements for online political speech, more spending to counter supposed cybersecurity threats, more funding for the Federal Trade Commission, of course, a requirement that all companies' algorithms can be audited by the feds, and this data shared with universities and others, and a requirement of interoperability between dominant platforms. So in other words, they're going to nationalize the Internet. The paper also suggests making it a rule that tech platforms above a certain size must turn over internal data and processes to independent public interest research. How about the FISA court? That went well. So they can identify potential public health addiction effects, anti-competitive behavior, radicalization, scams, user propaganda, misinformation, and harassment data that could be used to inform actions by regulators or Congress. And, of course, these include further revisions to the Communications Decency Act, recently amended by Congress. The proposals in the paper are wide-ranging, and in some cases even politically impossible, and raise almost as many questions as they try to answer, suggested Matthew Ingram, putting it very mildly at the Columbia Journalism Review. I'm sure Brian Stelter and his uh, 4IQ brain will address this next Sunday, on CNN, even though nobody's watching, and raise this issue bigly that this, you see, ladies and gentlemen, violates the First Amendment freedom of speech. This, because it is a privately owned Internet, it is in the private sector, if you will, and the government seeks to nationalize it, doesn't it, in so many ways. That is a violation of your First Amendment, period. Can you imagine government regulating it to the extent the Democrats want? They're circulating these plans. So those of you who say, well, look, the parties are the same. I'm not going to vote. There's a midterm election. You better wise up and you better wise up fast. Because on the left, they are totalitarians. They are everything they accuse us of. They hate speech. They hate real press. They hate freedom of association. They hate the Second Amendment. They hate aspects of the Fourth Amendment. Fifth Amendment, Ninth and Tenth Amendments, separation of powers, you name it. This is a very, very serious matter, as are most of the matters we have to deal with when it comes to uh, uh, the left and what they're trying to do. All right, let's take a look at the Ohio special election. Doesn't appear that there's enough votes on here to make any kind of conclusion. Four percent of the precincts are fully reporting. 4%. The Democrat has 24,000 votes and the Republican has 15,000 votes. Uh, Looks like Columbus proper has already reported. Right, Mr. Producer? Is that about right? We think so. 
Uh, so we'll see how the other districts do. Uh, but he's behind the percentages, 61% to 38%. So it's significant percentage. It's a congressional district, not a Senate race. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, let's see. So the early voting, we're told, is pretty much as expected, I'm reading here. Um, let's see. The uh, Why was it expected? Because we knew the geograph partisan composition of the early vote. As I said, it's much of... Uh, it's not exclusively, but much of Columbus, which is heavily Democratic. And now presumably some of the suburbs will come in. We'll know a lot before the end of the program. Whether we have a winner, that's a whole other story. But here's the deal. The Democrats and the left and the media have this all figured out. Heads they win, tails the president loses. So in other words, if the Republican wins, well, what's the big deal? He was expected to win. And not only that, it was closer than expected. And if the Democrat wins, it's all on Trump. My understanding is the Republican didn't even run a great campaign. But what is it with the Republicans in these, these towns and these uh, districts? The Democrats are nominating young, vibrant, charismatic, at least acting and looking individuals. The Republicans are down in the tooth, older people. Not that I'm against that. I mean, I'm a little older myself. But I mean, you got to put the best candidates forward that you possibly can. I'll be right back. American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. So now 14% of the vote is, and the Democrat leads by less than 7,000 votes. 46.7% to 42.6%. Some of the bigger Republican districts are coming in now. So we'll keep an eye on this. It's moving quickly. Hopefully we'll have an answer before the end of the program. Uh, so it's a 14-point lead. A lot of the uh, votes came out of the Columbus area for the Democrat, but some of the Republican areas are picking up now. I want you to think about how I'm discussing this, because come Election Day in about 100 days for the off-year midterm election, every one of you must vote in your community. Whether you're voting for a candidate or against it, you must vote. And I will be voting for our Republican representative. Even though I don't agree with everything she's done, there has to be a firewall to try and protect this president. So yes, I'll be voting for Barbara Comstock. Doesn't mean I'm happy with everything. It just means the numbers are the numbers. And you know, people looking at this race, there are a number of so-called Republicans and so-called conservatives looking at this race, hoping the Republican loses because they hate Trump that much. Brett Stevens is a perfect example. George Will is another example. Bill Crystal is another example. And I can go down the list. Some radio hosts who play it both ways. They would love nothing more than Trump to lose this so they can go in and tell you, well, I told him he should have said this and rather than that. I'm not that way. I'm an activist. We are our own form of freedom fighters here. We do it with word. We do it with ideas. And we do it with political action but this is not just a matter to be observed we are participants in this society and I've never understood people who get behind a microphone like this and pretend they're not or they don't think they should be yes we are it's absolutely critical 
And I'm going to surprise some people and endorse in some of these races. I'll, I'll do it right now. I'm looking at this Senate. And by the way, most of my candidates are likely to lose. So people will say, oh, look at that Mark Levin. He can't win. I'm taking people who are behind and I want to support them. It's not about me, people who I want to, you know, that, that, that people who I support don't win or people who I support do win. I'm worried about the future of the country. As a matter of fact, I'll wait till later this week so we can get better organized. But I know who they are. Take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom oxygen. Boom. You know what you just created? You just created nitric oxide. That's a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. But as we all age, our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Super beets by human has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. Now, the core philosophy of human is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon of super beets each day supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels, giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real, healthy, natural energy. Call 866-205-4907. 866-205-4907. Or go to superbeats.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N. Superbeats.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N. And find out how you can get a free, free 30-day supply of Superbeats and free shipping with your first purchase. I really want you to try this. Feel the one plus one equals boom effect of Super Beats. It's all natural. Call 866-205-4907 or go to superbeats.com slash L-E-V-I-N. Superbeats.com slash Levin right now. All right, let's take another look at this race as I hit my refresh button. Let's see here. Okay, 11% is in. And the Democrat picked up an 1,000 1, vote advantage. So it's a 15 percentage point spread. The Democrat has 29,215. The Republican has 21,390. Now, this is a congressional district. So, you know, this can add up very, very quickly. So hopefully the Republican will... Uh, will very quickly pick up steam. As I say, we'll keep an eye on this. Now let's go to the Manafort trial. I told you I'd cover all this stuff. We just have to be a little bit uh, patient. We've got three hours here. Probably need ten, but here we are. The key uh, witness against Manafort is this fellow Rick Gates, who used to be his right-hand man. And there was an accountant and there was a financial advisor and a guy that sold them suits and so forth and so on. But this is the star witness, they say. And he's essentially testified that he committed all kinds of crimes, moved all the kinds of money around, hid uh, bank accounts overseas and wire transfers, and he did it all at the direction of Manafort. All at the direction of Manafort. Even though he was the guy pretty much handling the... Uh, the day-to-day activities of this firm. 
And so uh, he finishes his, the prosecution side of his testimony, and then he's cross-examined, and that will continue tomorrow as well. But it's reported by Bloomberg, Downing, who is Manafort's lawyer, began his cross-examination of Gates at about 4 o'clock today by questioning him about unauthorized bonuses he paid himself through Manafort's offshore accounts. Part of an effort by the defense to paint Gates as a liar whose credibility is damaged. Well, of course, he is a liar whose credibility is damaged. Downing, Manafort's lawyer, is a former tax prosecutor. He also cited a false statement Gates made to the special counsel's office earlier this year before flipping and pleading guilty to one count of conspiracy against the U.S. and one count of making a false statement against the government. You understand what the government has done here? This guy could just as easily be facing charge after charge after charge and a potential for life in prison. His deal, one count of conspiracy, one count of making a false statement. So they really watered it all down, the prosecution did, so he knows this guy Gates. He better really perform if he just wants to get those two counts and not have his deal go away. Now, these incidents of him paying himself bonuses from Manafort's offshore accounts without Manafort knowing, as Bloomberg reports, are being used to reinforce the defense position that this case is about taxes and trust. As Manafort attorney Thomas Zenley said in his opening statement last week, the defense contends that Gates repeatedly violated Manafort's trust and can't be trusted by the jury. Downing suggested, the attorney, that Gates paid himself as much as $3 million in bonuses and unauthorized expenses from bank accounts allegedly controlled by Manafort in Cyprus, much more than the hundreds of thousands that Gates admitted to in earlier testimony. When did you first start giving false and misleading information to the special counsel's office, Downing asked. Gates said that he provided false information because he couldn't remember specific events. He then pleaded guilty and began cooperating with prosecutors, meeting with them numerous times in preparation for trial. Downing, the attorney, questioned several expenses Gates paid with money from the Cypriot accounts, alleging that a substantial amount of them represented personal expenses, not charges associated with Gates' role as an employee of Manafort's political consulting firm. Pressed by Downing and Judge Ellis, Gates admitted that many of the expenses were not approved by Manafort. I submitted expense reports over several years that were not authorized, Gates said. Obviously, defense is doing that for an important reason. To show that Gates may have submitted more than a few. Now, Gates admitted under cross-examination that he stole from Manafort to cover expenses related to a secret relationship. In response to a question... From Manafort's lawyer, Kevin Downing, whether he stole from his boss to pay for the secret life of Rick Gates. Manafort's former deputy responded, there was a time 10 years ago when I had a relationship. The married father of four said the relationship lasted two months and involved an apartment in London. Gates denied Downing's suggestion that he used money stolen from Manafort's Cypriot accounts to pay for a trip to Las Vegas, audio equipment, groceries from a Whole Foods in Virginia. But Gates conceded that he took business trips to Las Vegas with an accused fraudster, Stephen Brown, using money from Manafort's accounts 
in the U.S. Downing and then in the U.S. Downing asked if Gates had submitted personal expenses to the Trump inaugural committee. I don't recall, Gates replied. It's possible. Gates appeared shaky at times in answering questions, contrasting sharply with his firm and clear answers to questions by prosecutors. He was questioned repeatedly about his trustworthiness. After all the lies you've told and fraud you've committed, you expect this jury to believe you, Downing asked? I'm here to tell the truth, Gates said. I'm taking responsibility for my actions. Mr. Manafort had the same path. I'm here. I've expended the responsibility, and I'm trying to change. That is a, uh, a practiced couple of lines that I'm sure the prosecutors worked over with Mr. Gates. Mr. Gates said during his testimony that he's met with prosecutors over 20 times. Over 20 times. I'll be right back. Lovin. All right, this Ohio district special election with 18% of the vote, and it's definitely tightening up. The Democrat leads by about uh, 6,300 votes. So at one point it was almost 10,000 votes. 18% of the precincts in. Uh, the main Democrat strongholds, now there are other Democrat parts of this town, of this uh, district too, but the big one uh, is pretty much spent. So we'll see how it goes. Let's see here. Uh... Let me see what I have to do here. All right. Uh, Let's take a call, Mr. Producer. Can you give me a call, please? WJNO, Antonio, Florida. Go. Yes, Mr. Green. Good good evening. It's an honor and a privilege to talk to you, and I would like to to talk uh, about the Iranian conflict and put in retrospective what happened exactly in 1978. I am a... American naturalized person. I'm originally from Madrid, Spain. Well, and I've been here hold in on the one age. second. My earphones have. Hello, there you go. Yes, Mr. Said, yes, go ahead. Uh, I would like to, to mention and to talk to you just very shortly what happened exactly with the Iranian conflict. Yeah, we have one, one minute. Go ahead. Yes, there's one person here responsible for what happened in the 70s, and that person is Jimmy Carter. This person, this president, did not help the south of Persia, Reza Pahlavi, when the whole conflict started. This conflict started, if you go back in those days, in France. All the Ayatollahs were living in the exile in Paris. The French government at that time was responsible because uh, the French government flew a French plane from Paris to Tehran, full of ayatollahs inside the plane, and then is when the whole revolution starts in the streets. At that mm-hmm. time, at that time, Mr. Reza Pahlavi, South Persia, who was one of the greatest allies of the United States... Yes, he was. Called, that is called, the Shah of Iran. Go ahead. ...of Iran, called Jimmy Carter, and those were the words that he said, Mr. President, I need your help. The revolution is around the corner. I need your help, and please help me. 
The answer right. from Jimmy Carter was no. All right, my friend. Exactly right. All right. This congressional district, I'm no expert on this congressional district, but 27% of the precincts fully reporting. Uh, it looks like a tick up for the Democrat. 40,000 votes for the Democrat. I'm rounding it off. A little over almost 30,000 votes for the Republican. It's 57 to 42 percent right now. So you still have about uh, three-fourths of the precincts. I just hope they're heavily Republican and people vote. I want to remind you again. You hear me talking about this election, how close it is? I want you to be thinking about your own congressional districts. I want you to put aside a couple of issues here and there you may have with somebody who's running. And understand, for me, this is an impeachment firewall election. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now, it's very, very hot outside, isn't it? In fact, it's very muggy outside. There's a lot of pollen everywhere. The humidity is unbelievable. You know, maybe it's time to grab a stepladder and check out those air filters you've been neglecting, if you dare. After you do that, I want you to go to filterby.com, like I do, and order a fresh set of filters for your home's central air system or office. Filterby is America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses with over 600 sizes that ship for free within 24 hours, plus they're manufactured right here in America. In fact, I recommend you subscribe so you don't have to, so you don't forget to regularly replace your filters. You can subscribe to a regular schedule. And if you do that, they'll also knock 5% off the order. Save time, save money, breathe better with FilterBuy.com. That's FilterBuy.com, FilterBuy.com. Tell them Mark sent you. And by the way, if you put clean filters in on a regular basis, they don't even cost that much. Have you replaced an HVAC system lately? Thousands and thousands of dollars. The harder it is for that system to function, they're mechanical systems. That is, the more difficult it is for the air to be pushed through or intaked or to have an intake through these filters, well, the more work that engine has to do, that motor has to do for your HVAC system. And they go. And then they cost you a fortune. So I strongly encourage you to jump in now. FilterBUI.com, FilterBuy.com. Now... With 31% of the precincts in, it's tightened up again. The Democrat has 53.4% of the vote, and the Republican has 46% of the vote. There's a 6,200-vote differential. So it's getting a little closer. So hopefully enough Republicans turned out, since there's more Republicans in this district than Democrats, and did their thing. We'll probably be able to get one more read on this. Before the end of the program. All right, Mr. Producer, another caller. Please, who shall I speak to? Juan in Oregon on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hello, Mr. Levin. Yes. You are a big asset for the uh, people of this country because I, you are I a hope you, I hope you said. I hope you said asset there. And? I hope you said asset. Asset, yeah. Oh, asset. All right, yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is it. Remember, I'm a, I'm from Cuba, and I got this yes. broken language. Uh, no, that's uh, all right. And, and it's very hard sometimes to uh, go right ahead, my friend. You're very clear, actually. I'm just messing yeah. with you. Go ahead. What I want to say about 
Iran and uh, the world will be a better place when yeah. Iran and Cuba will be defeated. I'm talking about regime change. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. Even though the president can't and hasn't really said it, I have no doubt that's what's going on here with Iran. Thank you for your call, my friend. It was excellent. All right, let's see here. One more look. One more look. Hit the refresh. That special district in Ohio. Any change? 32%. Oh, it's tightened up a little bit more. Just keep an eye on it. We salute you heroes, and I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.